Thanks to everybody who supported the show this week via Patreon, including Dan Lane, Alistair Harding, Ian Wilkinson, Matt Lacey, Tim Edwards, Ilya Coelia, Roland Robertson, Jamie Holland. If you'd like to support the show from $1 per episode, go to 361podcast.com slash support. There we go. Hello. Oh, the look he gave me there. <laughs> I've got the spinny wheel again. Yeah. Why is that? It's a recording now. It is recording now, yeah. Okay. Have you quit all of your applications? I mean... I have, yes. Yeah. You've got like 1,400 Chrome tabs open. Yes, come on. I've got a few Chrome tabs open. Right, can you close them? Right, that's Rafe speak for yes, you found me out. That's why my mm-hmm. high-spec yeah. machine is dog slow. <laughs> Should we do the introduction? Yes. How are you faring for time, Rafe Blanford? Have you frozen, right? <laughs> oh, that's fine. I, I was going to say... I was just faking frozen just to see whether <laughs> you actually were paying attention. <laughs> Welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile technology and the world around it. My name is Ben Smith. I'm Rafe Blanford. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is Season 19, Episode 4, and we're back to our brand new format, One Question, Three Answers. This week, we give you three answers to the question, is 5G worth it? gents good to see you rock on thank you ben hello hello how are you doing yes yes i'm good thank you very much so just before we kick off with the hellos more while i remember episode two we said we were going to support childhood cancer awareness week i just wanted to confirm to everybody say thank you very much for all the patreon support i made the donation today and we topped it up to a hundred dollars which is not going to set the world on fire but it's just our little contribution to Relay FM's fund. I think they were targeting 315,000 raised. And as I checked in today, they were at about 429,000. Yeah. So they have done really well. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. If you weren't paying attention or if you want to just um, pitch in yourself, St. Jude's is always fundraising. And although it's an institution based in the US, uh, they do research that helps everybody around the world. So uh, you can't really argue with that. So I just wanted to check in. Thank you very much to everybody yes. for uh, your support with that one. Mm. Now, properly, hello, you McLeod, live from Muscataman. How are you? I am. Hello. Yes, I'm very well. Thank you. Rocking. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. We've been doing this for a few years now, and I get to see you in a variety of basements or sort of spare rooms, and Mm. I've never really felt that we've got the rich flavour of the cultures you've been living in. You know, kind of several years in Copenhagen, and all we got to learn was what Danish light bulbs look like, and uh, it was dark outside. Ah, uh, but in Denmark, they are very stylish. Very stylish indeed. Really stylish bulbs, you know. I think at some point we should insist that you open the curtains so we can see what Muska actually looks like. Well, I'm sorry to say, it is rather dark. <laughs> it's dark. Just night. saying, it's quite late. That's right. Good. Well, I'm glad we went there. But it's cooling down a little bit. It is cooling down a little bit. Good. Uh, Ray Blanford, yeah. how the devil are you? I'm doing very well. London, it's also getting quite dark here as we record this at 7pm UK time. Winter is drawing in. Winter is coming. Yes. I listened to some edits on a previous show because I think we've got about a three or a four week lag on publishing these at the moment, although it'll be less by the time this goes out. And um, I noticed they're saying, oh, it's a nice to be out and lockdown's lifting. And now we're like, <laughs> oh. So, so like, we should stop commentating on contemporary events because you know we'll probably be uh, you know thinking why didn't they mention the asteroid you know like in four <laughs> weeks time absolutely well we we have to express our concern about this topic but hope that it'll be mitigated by the effect and therefore that we will all be feeling an emotion next week yes i too have seen the news and have opinions about that news that are irrelevant in this contemporary time period yes 
but I'm not going to share them with you so that they can remain relevant for the duration of this podcast. For a moment there, I was about to say, so, what, what, what's that? <laughs> I missed that. Yeah, good stuff. Well, you know, there we go. That's the problem with in jokes, isn't it? It's, uh, it's a great way to exclude listeners. So, welcome, all new listeners. Yes. So, before we crack on with today's one question, three answers. Yes. We've got a couple of follow up items. You, McLeod, you have been on a podcast. Yeah. Yes. Serious one. This. He's been moonlighting. Moonlighting. No, yes. So no, it says no. here. Go on. FinTech daydreaming. So, what's a FinTech daydreaming, and what have you done? Fintech Daydreaming is season two. It's in season two. It's a podcast. It is a podcast produced by Paul and Ville from Helsinki, or the Helsinki Environs uh, up there in the Nordics. And they know a thing or three about fintech, these guys. They seriously, genuinely do. And uh, they were very kind to invite me on to their podcast. Uh, I think it was episode three. Oh, I need to go and look. We'll pop a link in the show notes. We'll put a link in. I talked to them about uh, digital transformation and uh, big banks and that kind of thing. And uh, it was very exciting, really, really stimulating, great questions from them. Nice to go on. And I wasn't moonlighting there, Blandford. You know, I did arrange with Paul. I said, look, you're my two colleagues here. will be horrified, horrified that you haven't invited them. But, you know, it'll be great to come and talk about fintech. And they said, oh, and, you know, tell us about 361. I did the special thing. I did the, hold on, 361 podcast, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. There you go. Right, see, I got, I got that um, uh, verbatim. Yeah, I, I rehearsed that. Look, mate, I say, if you get a better offer, take it, is what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> Just run with it, okay? Dream big. It was really good. Thank you, Ville. Thank you, uh, Paul. It was excellent to be on their podcast. And if you're into fintech, they tend to have an interview every week, and it's really genuinely interesting. They know their topics incredibly well. Villa is head of emerging technology for Nordea Bank, and Paul is a bigwig IBMer. He knows his stuff, an expert. A fintech guy. So they've got really interesting uh, content there in the podcast. And, and you were just there for balance, were you? And, and of course, they have fantastic guests. <laughs> so if you listen to next week's episode, yes. <laughs> you might hear one of those instead of you. So who was the guest on your episode? Thank you for that, Ray. Thank you very much. I shall answer that question by saying it was really nice to be back in the Nordics, only virtually, and to hear both of their accents. Paul's got a very um, uh, London accent, actually, uh, a very British accent, although I think he is. I think I'm right in saying he is Finnish. And then Villa's got a good, you know, good proper Nokia accent. I know, I know Rafe will know Helsinki, the Finnish accent. It's lovely to be back virtually anyway. All right. So Ewan's done guest appearances and actually go and listen to the podcast because it is genuinely very good. Ben, I can see something new glinting on your wrist. Have you been making purchases? Yeah. Uh, yes, you are what you buy. So um, <laughs> I went shopping. <laughs> you look like a fruit then. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a Apple Watch 6. I bought the blue aluminium version because I like blue. And I have to say, so far, so good. I had the Series 4 before, and it was good. I'd gotten to the habit of wearing it every day. I've actually bought mine through my network operator, which I didn't expect to mm-hmm. do. And then I didn't expect to endorse as a way forward. But I, I was a bit slow out the blocks ordering mine. And um, in the end, uh, Apple were out of stock, but the network operators weren't. And um, yeah, it's... Uh, Actually, a surprisingly affordable way when you factor in the, because I've got the cellular version, when you factor in the running costs of the airtime agreement mm. that goes with it, it's a very affordable way to buy it. It spaces the payments out over time, which is quite nice. Normally, I prefer to buy my phone SIM free, but actually this works well. There's not a big markup. And uh, well, I've bought two Apple Watches now from EE. The first one was an unmitigated disaster that took three months to sort out the billing and multiple escalations to head office. And this one, I rang them up on launch day and said, could I have it? And it arrived the next morning. So wow. I was pleasantly surprised. And so, yes, so far, so good. Hmm. 
very happy with it. Big noticeable difference coming from the Series 4, always on screen. Lots of improvements, but that's mm. the one that stands out to me. Yeah, and have you looked at the blood oxygen saturation? Has that been a feature for you, or was this mostly about the kind of the better screen? Well, I'm not dead. I mean, it, it's told me that I'm not that's dead. Good news. Excellent. I think it's interesting to monitor that. I suppose since I've been running a bit more, I've been sort of vaguely aware of the impact of moving around a bit more on me. So it'd be interesting to see how blood oxygen levels change. I already quite liked the other measurements, the heart rates and sensing and that kind of stuff that it did. Have you done your heart rate? Have you done your ECG? Yep. It's obligatory if you, you know. Absolutely. I've done both the demo and it tracks it as well, you know, to warn you if it sees a a major disparity. Mm. So that's been really good. That's been fun. But I think actually, again, it hasn't been a prime topic of conversation, but aside from the always on screen, it's really snappy, really quick as well. And actually, I'm starting to find some complications, the little widget things that you can put on the watch faces that load useful apps. We're at that point now where several of the apps I use now have useful things on the watch, which, Mm. you know, for a long time they didn't. And they're loading nice and quickly and they've got relevant data because they're staying in sync. So it's a platform that feels like it's maturing. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I don't think if I had a five, I would necessarily upgrade. I'm pleased and it's a manageable monthly cost for two years. And I found that my last watch happily served me for two years before it's even remotely started to feel old. In fact, I think the four is still a very capable device. Yeah. So what's the cost roughly, you know, for the airtime and the, you know, what is it? In fact, let me guess, let me guess. £22 a month. I think it's a little more than that. I think I factored it in about £28 a month with the airtime rolled in as well. And uh, that works out at a cost that's only fractionally more than if you bought the airtime and the device outright from Apple. So it's a nice, efficient way of doing it. I think it's kind of a bit akin to your buying interest-free from Very. You know, like you can buy outright, but if it's more convenient to spread the cost, then actually... Mm. To be honest, this one just vanishes into my phone bill. I don't really even notice it now. It's just a proportion of my phone bill that's been there forever. And, you know, it's a good way to have it. And um, I had thought about getting the Wi-Fi version, but actually I quite like the contingency of being able to have the cellular version. And perhaps it's something I won't use. I'm not sure I got that much use out of it on the 4, but this is now such a capable device. Actually, I can imagine going out for a run without my mm. phone, which is yeah. something I'm going to give a try to now. Because Do you, uh, you use contactless with your Apple Watch? Well, obviously, you know, Back in the before times when we used to leave the house, then yeah, all the time. <laughs> it was the way that I used to go through London Transit. So, Really? Okay. Transport for London, let you pay contactless, mm. use a contactless card to pay for all your travel on buses and trains and things. And that was a great way of doing it. So yeah, I use that all the time and buy my coffee and everything. So it's super handy. I suppose the only thing is it displaces a mechanical watch and I do quite like them. So the next question might be what fitness band or thing can I get for my pocket for days when I want to go fancy and wear a mechanical watch, but still want to track my steps or my movement and that kind Mm, of stuff. mm. But yes, so far so good. Really enjoying it. We'll report back when I've worn it for slightly longer. And a lot of our listeners will want to know, of course, what um, his lordship is doing. And I know we don't talk about your status, you know, on the podcast that often in terms of, you know, using his actual full title. Who are you talking to, Ewan? Thank thank you for referring to me with my name. (laughs) Sir, Lord, sir. Um, what is His Highness here, His Excellency, doing with the uh, Apple Watch? He's been elevated over the course of this conversation. I still don't know who you're referring to, but <laughs> I stuck with the Series 5. That was, for me, the always on screen was the big thing there, but also the performance on complications. And actually, that complication thing reminds me that I think the other thing that's come out recently from Apple iOS 14 that seems to be attracting quite a bit of attention is widgets, which is old hat for everybody on Android. But it's been interesting to see 
people being quite creative really with what hand. you can do with them well and sort of launcher and everything else and i agree like widgets have been around for ages but it's one of those things that are sort of picked up and it was interesting to note that pinterest had record number of downloads on ios which was driven by people trying yeah. to explore new home screen layouts of which widgets was kind of driving a lot of that activity so i do have a question i've tried out a number of widgets what have been your favorite ones now that we're all on ios 14 well, can I just interrupt you, first of all, to say, yeah, widgets have been on Android for a long time, but bad widgets have been on Google for a long time. Good widgets are now on iOS. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. That is nonsense, by the way. Absolute no, 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 nonsense. No, no. Now, there is light and day difference between the quality of the design <sighs> and functionality. In some cases. In aggregate, across all of the ones that are available. In aggregate. He says, with no sweeping statements whatsoever, Come on, try and show some balance here to the listeners. No, I think that the way that widgets have been architected in iOS, the way that you build them, the way that they're set up, the way that they protect battery and security and that kind of stuff, and the design language that Apple enforces in its apps as well through the interface design means that actually there's a really good baseline. And I think, you know, this is where you see the meaningful differences between the platforms. We could do a whole show on this, but we won't. But I think that simply pointing out that widgets existed before Well, of course they did. They've been in loads of places. But actually, I think a lot of the enthusiasm for iOS widgets is around the quality of what you're getting because lots of very good apps have produced very competent widgets very early on in iOS 14's life. To answer your actual question, Rafe, I've got Streaks, which is my habit tracking app, which actually primarily reminds me not to drink too much coffee, drink some water and to move around a bit. Is that on your home screen? That's on my home screen, yeah. I tried out tons of uh, weather widgets. I ended up using Carrot Weather, which is one of the best, but I think for me, it's got the right widget that I like. Weatherline actually used to be my favorite weather app, which is really good. But for me, the design of their app suits larger widgets and I've been using the smaller ones, but either way, try those both out. And obviously Things is my um, to-do list manager at the moment. And that's one of the most beautiful, sort of most native feeling apps across iOS and macOS. And that's got a brilliant widget as well. I have actually, I had a play with them Widgetsmith, which is uh, by the same developer who did um, Watchsmith. Watchsmith, there we go, which is sort of a great kind of build your own complications. And that seems to be where a lot of excitement has come from. But I'm excitedly refreshing the App Store to see which of my favorite apps will add widgets next. So, what about you, Ewan? What are you using? Thanks for asking. I tried the, I think it was the weather one, or I tried one of the widgets and I was just really, really annoyed because I, I added the big long one. I thought, oh, I'll just see how this works. You know, I'll, I'll put it onto the home screen here and bang, boom, all of my icons have disappeared. It was really annoying. I knew exactly what page each icon was on, right? And now it's all gone skew-iffy, very, very annoying. So I just got rid of that widget, the weather one or something, just the default one. And I thought, right, not using that. So I'm going to look at it in a little while. But uh, I thought I'll wait, wait and see what other people do here because I tried it and was quite frustrated by the fact that all of my icons have gone and I'm going to have to do some reorganization again. I haven't done anything with it yet. <sighs> That's right. Write a blog post about it, and then I can <laughs> think about doing something with it. Uh, Rafe Lanford, what about you? Yes, come on, Rafe. Well, I also use things, and I looked at Carrot and haven't quite liked some of the tone on that, so I'm still seeking the right weather widget. <laughs> the tone. <laughs> they were really rude about the weather. Actually, that's the whole thing about the Carrot apps, is that it has a, an AI robot voice that tells you the weather and it is 
quite rude. It's part of the design language. Oh, it's that one. Okay. Yeah. But oh. actually, Rafe, you can pick the personality and you can just pick one that's called factual. Like me, Blanford, factual. That's, yeah. you know. I don't find the jokes very funny, but you could turn that off. Or go with Weatherline. You'll love Weatherline. It's big pictures of weather. Jeez, I just, I don't know what you're talking about here. I'm just going to look at these things. And likewise, Widget Smith. But then having looked at some of the native stuff, Smart Stack is interesting, but isn't quite enough customization in it for my liking. But the app selection or recommended apps is actually quite useful. It doesn't really appear as a widget, but will, if you opt to use it, put four app icons at the bottom of your screen or wherever you position it. And it's the same thing that you kind of get in the, I think it's the Today screen. And it's quite good because it will change the apps that it's recommended depending on what you've used at certain times of the day as you use different apps. And I've been experimenting with that. And I think it's quite helpful because it seems to be reducing the amount of swiping that I'm doing. So I'll keep that for a while and report back. The only thing I'm missing that I really want, because most of this stuff has been, you know, sort of playing with it and realizing it was good after the fact, was I want a Hue widget for my Hue lights in the house. And they haven't made that yet then? Well, there's not one on the official app, but there's tons of unofficial Hue apps. And I just haven't found one with a widget yet. But I've got some hue lighting in this office i'm recording in now and i'd like to just be able to flip it on and off off my home screen would be great do what blanford doesn't just use a switch i know that pains me when i see him pressing buttons i just think you know he's on a podcast about mobile tech you know the world around it and then using his finger to press buttons it hurts me okay we should move on and no doubt by the time this comes out loads more apps will have updated their widgets and we'll probably do a widgety episode but i am yeah i'm quite pleased You'll need to do this. I, look, edit stack, edit. Oh, jeez, I just not. Uh, In fact, yeah. my biggest disappointment, I think, probably is um, that not being able to put widgets all over my iPad because obviously in the iPad they're just restricted to the sidebar. You could make a really cool personal dashboard full of widgets there. That's true. That would be nice. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really good. If you're into data, there's a cracking app called Charty for iOS. You can run a Siri shortcut and feed it data and it will draw you a graph. And brilliantly, it'll draw you a graph in a widget as well. That's cool. That's very cool. So you could graph heat, time, weights, money, exchange rates, mood, whatever, podcast duration, amount of attention that Rafe Blanford is paying to me right now. Yeah, zero, by the way. Zero, yeah. That's a very low graph. He's making notes. Okay, we should move on then because it's time to do the subject of this podcast, having preambled way too much. Yeah, let's do it. So when we asked for questions, loads of people wrote in with some sort of common themes. So we're touching some of those first. And Martin Isles on Twitter wrote in and says, I see lots of rollout of 5G going on, but there's still lots of populated areas where I can't get any data coverage at all, dot, dot, dot. And he's basically asking us whether or not 5G will become ubiquitous. We had a bunch of emails and some feedback from people who didn't leave their names. Hello. So we've sort of summarized those up into one sort of uber aggregate question. Is 5G worth it? And that's the one question we're going to try and give three answers to today. Mm. So who drew the short straw to go first? I think that was you, Ben. It's me. Okay, brilliant. Well, I'm sure everyone's heard exactly about as much of me as they want this evening. No, no, let's hear some more. Let's hear some more. (laughs) Here's 12 minutes more of me. Come on, remind us of the format here. Okay, so we've got 12 minutes. I'm going to make my case for about four or five minutes of those. And then I'm going to take questions from you and Rafe. The objective is that we're going to give three credible answers. It's not that one is right and one is wrong. It's just that depending on your perspective, you could have any one of these three entirely reasonable viewpoints, but inevitably my one will be the best. Uh, And we beg to differ there, don't we, listener? Exactly. Don't we? Let's play along. So is 5G worth it in aggregate? And I'm going to say no. Unless you get it for free. What? 
Okay, I'm meant to be silent. Okay, go on. <laughs> Unless you get it for free. And here's my rationale. Right now, 5G is not evenly distributed. You can get it in certain cities, you can get it in certain locations. But if you're paying for 5G, you're very unlikely to be able to get it all of the time. And the problem there means that you can't rely on it. You can't choose to use services, you can't use apps, you can't play games that benefit from the advantages of 5G, which are basically speed and lower latency. So that's lower lag between your handset and the server that you might be connecting to. But you don't want to have one set of behaviors when you're at work, perhaps in a major city, and another set of behaviors where you're at home. And certainly at the moment, 5G is not available enough in order to be beneficial to everybody. So you would be paying a premium to mobile operators who've basically looked at 5G much as they looked at 4G and decided that this is another opportunity to increase the amount of money that people pay every month. And they're not really worried about the fact that it hasn't really reached everybody yet. So they're going to take all the money they can whilst it's a premium service, and you're going to get a very patchy and inconsistent experience. The other thing is that actually you can get just as good an experience on an improved 4G network in practice in most cases. And the number of places where you are going to get the super high speeds or the super high improvement in network and latency are so rare when you're standing underneath a mast or when you're perhaps in a sports stadium that has specific transmitters built in to deal with high density usage that actually it's really not worth it. The other thing is that as handsets are coming along, 5G is increasingly being used as a top-up, as a way to charge more for the same device. And right now, you could be spending a lot of money on a 5G device, and you just won't be getting the value out of it. So I would say, unless it comes for free, hold off, wait. 5G will probably be great in the future, but right now you're not getting any value. And so wait for the early adopters to pay their money, keep your hands in your pockets, and then 5G will be interesting in the future. And critically, it needs to be everywhere so that you have a baseline good level of experience. Right now, I'm not convinced either that there are enough services that benefit from higher bandwidth or lower latency to make it worthwhile either. And I think that that's something that will come over time, but it's not anywhere close to being delivered yet. So is 5G worth it? If you're going to have to pay money for it, and you're going to pay that money the same every month, but only receive access to it when you're in certain places and in certain conditions, I would say, no, not yet. The mobile operators are at the moment promoting something that is well beyond their capability to provide. I am done. Okay, I want to ask you one question and then lead on to another one. Ben, what is the replacement life cycle for your phone or other device? How long do you hold on to it before you get a new one? So for me personally, it's 12 months. I'm on a regular replacement cycle. So I wouldn't bother choosing to buy a 5G handset now because I could choose to buy a 5G handset in a year or two years time. But also I don't think that people should be buying handsets on the promise of what it will do in the future. So I think if we're talking about people on a more average handset replacement cycle, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's probably closer to two to three years, I would say 5G will not be rolled out in most of the geographies where we have listeners. So I suppose I ought to caveat that as well. So I'm talking primarily about Europe and North America. 5G will not be rolled out enough for most people for that to be worth it in that time frame. And if I'm wrong, and if a load of 5G suddenly falls out of the sky and scatters itself over the UK, for example, or scatters itself over North America, 
through some sort of very rapid rollout program, that will be an incentive to change your handset early, not to spend money on a device now that you can't benefit from. And actually, you may find that whilst you have the 5G specs, by the time you come to be able to use the handset and the faster speed and the lower latency, the other specifications of the device mean that you can't enjoy the services that you would want to use anyway. And I mean, in that regard, processor speed and memory, because games and more intensive applications feel like a prime use case for that high-speed networking. So, I mean, you obviously anticipated my question there about people who are maybe buying for longer. And I think I would probably take issue with, you know, the couple of year timeline, or at least I think people should think about that. Because what we're really talking about here is a £50 premium for the handset. And then there can be a premium for the actual contract as well. But it sort of depends how you do that. Because if you're buying SIM free, I mean, I think the caveat here, and I wonder whether you agree with this, is that a lot of people will get 5G by accident. I guess the question to you then, is it worth trying to avoid getting 5G to save yourself a bit of money? Because top end handsets, it's quite hard to avoid that on Android. It's going to become hard to avoid that on iPhone soon. I think that's what I classify as getting it for free. Because if a handset is worth it to you, because it's got the camera and the specs and the screen and case and the things that you like, and it happens to be 5G, then whilst I appreciate it's not free, as in it's not cost free, you're willing to buy that device justified by the other specs. But if we look at some of the more high-end Android devices, so Samsung do a whole range of high-end devices, some of them are 5G, some of them are not, and you can actually spec those devices with quite a degree of precision, depending as long as they're available in your market. I would say don't bother yet, save the money, keep it in your pocket, because it's not going to be worthwhile. And I don't think that preemptively buying stuff, which I think is what you were hinting at there, is ever a particularly good idea. Please. You know, I think we've all been burnt in the past by buying a device on the promise of how it will be upgraded or how it will perform in the future. I think that's fair. And I think it's hard to put numbers around this, but I do think that sometimes buying kind of ahead of the curve, especially as the life cycle creeps up towards three years, is interesting. And we kind of have seen in the past where having that extra, you know, can be worthwhile. Can I just interrupt you? I mean, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll let you go back to your point, but specifically on that point, If you buy a device today in the hope that it will have much higher speed data and much lower latency network connections in 18 months' time, you will have an 18-month-old handset at that point. And all those high-end services that you might want to use, unless you're plugging it into your computer and literally using it as a way to access the internet, your device already will underperform. You know, if you want to play games or if you want to do, you know, that kind of stuff, surely you'll end up with an underperforming device. I think that would have been true a couple of years ago or even going back five years. But I think the incremental uplift on handsets now is much smaller than it was. Where we're seeing the performance increases is smarter sensors. We're going to see that with the iPhone 12 with the kind of um, radar, for want of a better word, that will give a better augmented reality experience than the iPhone 12. And actually, you know, something like the Pixel that's come out recently proves that you can get very good performance and a good camera, for example, on what is effectively a mid-range. So I'm not sure that is as true as it would have been a few years ago. And to kind of to finish the point, I think also the legal obligations for coverage that the network operators now face, I don't have the figures for 5G to hand. There are some of those there and some of the operators anticipate them on the basis of new spectrum frequency coming up. And actually often now when they're buying spectrum in the auctions, it comes with a, you have to get this much coverage. So for 4G, for example, 
it's 88% by June 2024. And for some operators, it will make more sense for that to be straight to 5G. And that's particularly in rural areas where ultimately, actually, this would be really useful to have because there are also areas where you know, broadband is maybe not so good. So I've got about a minute left of my time. So that gives me the opportunity to make my one final closing <laughs> additional argument, <laughs> which is around the, I'm going to call it the honesty of the operators because oh come on we talk about 4g and 5g like they're absolutes like if you get 4g it's this speed if you get 5g it's this speed but actually we all remember back when 4g was being rolled out first of all some operators chose to be slightly dishonest and badge fast 3g as 4g and you remember all the hoopla about faux g and uh, you know making the 4g logo come up on phones when it wasn't actually genuinely using 4G, it just had a strong network connection. And I think that there's a bit of misdirection going on here as well, because you could have 5G coverage, you could be in a rural area and they could be meeting their obligation of providing 5G coverage. But the speed of the connection that you receive actually may not be materially better than a good 4G connection. And so, you know, case by case will vary. And it might be that for me, for example, if I want faster broadband, living relatively rural, that buying a 5G connection might be a good way to access it and to get a high-speed connection. But simply having an operator slap a 5G mast at the end of the road and saying, 5G's in this area, can I have 20 quid a month extra, please? Or can I have five quid a month extra, please? Depending if, you know, if it's a MiFi or a, um, a handset, doesn't actually guarantee me anywhere close to better speed. And that would be the other thought I'd say, which is the other reason to delay is find out what 5G means really, where you live and where you use your device. Because if you live in a big city, if you live in central London and you live under a mast, you could be getting very, very high speeds and it'd be fantastic, buy it, fantastic, you know, no concern for me. But if 5G follows the map of 4G, where I live out in moderately rural Hampshire, then actually I can get exactly the same experience. I won't notice a sizable difference and it will take years of network upgrades and those sorts of things to justify it. So, you know, it's a, it will be a time thing as well. I'm not saying never, but I'm definitely saying not yet. That's me done. <sighs> okay, that was the correct argument. That was an argument. Yeah. So who's up next? Is it you or is it... Who drew the short straw next? I believe I'm up next, although I'm going to reveal one of the 361 secrets at this point. Despite the fact that I'm up second, I actually got to pick my answer third, and we were just making sure we were going in a different answer. And not that I'm saying that the random number generator is a fix or anything, but it does seem like I've had the third answer both times we've done this format. So I will be checking very carefully when we do this for the third time. But listener Matt Lacey, you know, and strong supporter Matt Lacey, I think is very keen that you're third. He was saying that on Twitter. Yes. So I think Ben and Ewan have tried to con the audience into thinking I'm going second when I actually feel like I'm going third, if that makes sense. All I'm saying, Rafe, is if it's your broken audio that means we have to re-record the whole episode, then you get to go whenever I say, all right, sunshine? <laughs> right, fair enough. So, Rafe Blanford, you have 12 minutes on is 5G worth it? Go. And my answer here is yes, it is worth it, but with some caveats where you need to think about the right now for specific use cases. And I'm also going to take the opportunity to twist the question a little bit and talk about some of the things I think will be coming and why I do think it's worth it. And I think it's probably just helpful for listeners, like everyone's sort of 5G faster. But I think there's a couple of other things we need to talk about here. 
you alluded to it a little bit, Ben, but latency comes down. And so that does have an impact on certain types of applications. And I'm going to come back to that. It's also just the size of the pipe is also bigger. So it's not just faster and lower latency, it's fatter as well. And that means there's more capacity, which I think starts to become quite interesting because there are occasions when the network is a bit overloaded where 3G and 4G can slow down because there's too many people on the cell in question. So I think you get a higher quality of service where 5G is available because it's essentially got more throughput and more capacity. And I think particularly in urban areas where there's you know large gathering of people, if the densification of the network hasn't happened or is ongoing, then this can actually be one of the bigger factors that has an advantage uh, right now. And I appreciate some of that is dependent on the spectrum being available, and this does vary by market. But I think in the UK, we're starting to see this, and there's a few other markets where this applies. It is fair to say here that some of the eye-catching new speeds that get talked about in the 5G specifications only really apply when some of those spectrum frequencies get unlocked. But that was what Ben was talking about when he said, you know, things get better over time. So the 5G of 2020 is slower than 5G of 2025 just as happened with 3G and 4G but there is still a substantial uplift it's not quite the same as the 3G 4G thing where it felt like it was much more incremental there's a bigger step change here and I think some of the frequency stuff and this doesn't really apply in the UK but it does apply in some other markets means sometimes the coverage gets improved into places that you can't get elsewhere so that's kind of a general defense of why I think 5G is worth it. And I do take on the worthy answer of my colleague in terms of the kind of arrival of that worthy answer. Okay. But I say that there are more use cases right now that are interesting. I'm going to talk about one, which is mobile broadband. And I think you can divide that into both home broadband and then hotspots or dongles or portable mobile broadband. And I think particularly there, the uplift in performance and speed can be worth it. And I myself am using a 5G broadband as a backup for my main broadband, particularly important for me to maintain connectivity when working from home. And it's cheaper and easier to use than it would be getting a phone line or something else put in because I'm using a fiber connection from a company called Hyperoptic. And if I wanted to do line rental and do the usual kind of BT stuff here in the UK through the standard telco, it's just easier for me to go the 5G broadband and frankly, probably getting uh, better performance out of it as well. And I think there is a difference between 4G and 5G in that respect, and you're seeing a much greater match to what you might be able to get. And I think there are certain places where 5G is being rolled out in rural areas where that's really interesting as well. Maybe the slight catch here is Starlink from SpaceX is going to be a thing quite soon in rural areas. And that might actually be the better option to go for if you're going home broadband. But also for mobile broadband out and about, like having that if you're working in a cafe or trying to do some work outside the home, maybe not so relevant in this part of 2020, given what's going on in the wider world. But I really think that's important. I'll also say things like latency definitely have applications that benefits on video calling and a few things that we're doing a lot of right now. And particularly when you get onto desktop, that can be noticeable on web browsing and things like that, where those kind of things are less thought about than in mobile apps, where people have sort of engineered the apps to be mobile friendly in terms of the ways they go and get information. So one very big use case for me there. And then the other thing is just a more general point about 
I think you have to be respectful of the fact that new technology comes in and finds new use cases quite rapidly. So we had this same problem with 3G and even 4G and arguably things like Google Maps and proper web browsing came in with 3G. And then if you look at 4G, maybe it's more something like video and Netflix, maybe Snapchat. Those were all applications that would have terrified the network operators, frankly, because they use so much bandwidth, but suddenly became possible and now quite a central part of the way people use their phones. The question, therefore, is what's the Google Maps or the Flickr or the Netflix of the 5G generation? Just because it's not obvious right now doesn't mean it won't emerge quite quickly. And you could look at things like VR and AR and certainly handsets and the iPhone 12 are developing in that direction and that connection between the physical and digital world. And I feel like in the timeline we're talking about, a couple of years, that could indeed be very relevant and you'll get a better experience on 5G. So it's sort of that argument that the use cases will emerge because there's <laughs> plenty of history of people saying, oh, you only need two, five, six K of memory or you'll only need six computers in the world or whatever. And that's kind of continued on. The last one for me is just saying that 5G also has some applications away from consumer tech. It's not just about connecting a billion people. It's about connecting hundreds of billions of things. And some of the technology there is going to make it relevant. I think that gets away from the consumer side in the question we got asked a bit. But worth mentioning, because I think technology like network slicing, where you can essentially set up a dedicated network for a specific function, is interesting, whether that's around the emergency services having their dedicated network or things for IoT. And that's where you know 5G is relevant. And if you want to push those kind of things, like being enthusiastic about 5G adoption is worth considering. But I do appreciate that last point is probably a little bit weak on the question we were actually asked. Yeah, I'm happy to put my money where my mouth is in terms of, you know, sort of investing in ideas, I believe in, mm -hmm. but not when it's backing multi-billion dollar corporations that have a habit of over that aren't called Apple. Well, Apple doesn't over promise. Like, you know, Apple tells you what you're going to get and then you get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> go on, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, come on, Ben. Look, even <laughs> Rafe isn't buying this argument. Reverse. <laughs> Apple doesn't over promise. They tell you what you're going to get and they might not like the restrictions or the way they present it to you, but you get what they promise and they don't bring things to market while they're still hanging by a thread. No, no, no. They've never done that with maps, for example. Never. Never done that. In what way have they overpromised with maps? I don't pay anything for maps. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an Apple service that was atrocious when they brought it to market. Yeah, but the difference here is that Rafe is saying, vote with your money, vote with your wallet. Okay. And what I'm saying is that Apple Maps has never made me buy an iPhone. I've never felt robbed that I bought this iPhone to get Apple Maps and it's disastrous. And what we're saying here is buy 5G support AT&T, support Vodafone, support all these massive corporations. Needy companies. By voting with your feet to give them a little bit extra money. Gosh, if only we could give them a bit of extra money, these poor suffering multinational telcos could just invest in some infrastructure. I think that wasn't quite the argument I was making. I refer you to the first two points where mobile broadband makes sense. It is worth, if you're going mobile and particularly home broadband, go 5G if you can, you are going to get a better service there. I think immobile broadband, you know, home fixed 5G, if you live in a 5G area, fine, I think that might be an exception. But the point is that most people who buy a mobile network powered broadband are doing it so they can use it on the move. And if you are signing up to 20 or 30 quid a month of 5G, and then you get off the train in large town that hasn't got a 5G rollout yet, you're paying for something that you can't get. And certainly you shouldn't have anything on your laptop 
like you can talk about your video conferencing. If I'm going away and I want to have a video conference meeting and I rock up to a place that doesn't have 5G and only has patchy 4G, I just can't plan to use that technology. The other thing I'd say is about usage is I'm, I have to say I'm very reticent, regardless of capacity, I'm very reticent to rely on mobile networks for my primary connectivity. I spent a year living on 4G, witnessing what changing demand and changing weather did to the availability of 4G signal, going from having tens of megabytes per second down to virtually nothing when uh, you know, the rush hour and lots of people with phones you know, sort of walk past my house. I mean, that's fair, although I think, as I said, 5G is different from 4G in that quality of service and that capacity in the network. And yes, you're not going to get it everywhere right now, but you will improve in many places. And I think the best advice here would be you need to look at the areas you're going to be in and whether there is 5G connectivity and it is in a lot of major urban areas. And for some people, they don't live outside the M25 if we're talking about London. And for me, actually, the strongest arguments for going for 5G right now are essentially you will get a higher quality of service where 5G is available and particularly that capacity issue which you know we've all been on 4G connections which is slow to accrual because everyone else is on them as well and you know that advantage will diminish with 5G over time because not everyone's on 5G and so that's part of the advantage but the way it's built and specified means it supports greater capacity and more users in the cell and that is for me a very definite advantage and so for me for consumers there is the home broadband thing. Yes, mobile broadband, I would probably go, if I can get more, I'm probably willing to pay a little bit for that. But more importantly, I would probably buy a 5G handset on the basis that it will get me higher quality of service some of the time with that capacity point and with that quality of the network point. And so that's why I say, yes, it is worth it in specific use cases with a few caveats and you should pay for it if you meet those criteria. God, 12 minutes on the nose, Rafe Blanford. Like a professional DJ is a beautiful thing. It won't be in the edit, of course, but, uh, you know, that was gorgeous. Right then. Uh, okay, so that's the informed, thoughtful opinions. Now comes a man shouting the word power at us. Power! Okay. You and McLeod, you get 12 minutes on Is 5G Worth It? What's your opinion now? Hello there, dear listener. And I have given some considerable... <laughs> Don't pretend to have thought about this. Considerable consideration to this viewpoint you can i hope i trust hear me in buttery smooth quality thanks to my excellent microphone you may have had trouble hearing rafe earlier you know mark the editor he does his level best okay and then of course ben i think they're still trying to fix his stuff so look it, it is a delight to this is opening with a minute of personal attacks <laughs> it's a delight to be here dear listener and the question allocated or the, the topic allocated to me, is 5G worth it? My job here is to say yes. An unequivocal, unequivocal yes. And can I thank our dear Luddite, Mr. Smith? Goodness me, you may have heard me, he's doing his V signs at me right now. You may have heard me moaning in the background there. I'm just yeah, doing sighs of horror because this is 361 podcast. Okay, it's a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it, okay? And, you know, we are, generally speaking, really keen on new technology, really keen on supporting new additions into the marketplace. It doesn't matter if it's a billion-dollar company or a trillion-dollar company or a startup. We want to see more. We want to see advancement. We want to see what's next. And I 
I've actually, I was writing down quotes there from Mr. Smith. I'm not convinced that there are enough services for it, says, says Ben. What? What? Okay, service number one is, can I get my movies to my phone quicker? Yes. Service number two, is the video quality going to be better? Yes. Is it going to get faster? Yes. Is it just going to be better? And will there be cool new things that we haven't thought of coming? Yes. Now, the Luddite response from Mr. Smith was, oh, I'm, I'm not convinced. And I think Rafe, rather incorrectly, but in the, in the correct spirit, I think said 256K. Actually, what I think you meant to say was 640K memory should be enough for everyone. The rumoured Bill Gates quote from yesteryear, but actually, I don't actually know if he did say that. My view is we came out of the cave, ladies and gentlemen. We came out of the cave, okay? We sought more. We sought better. We sought an improvement in our condition. And that, I think, is what 5G is, okay? I don't pretend to know precisely what the applications could be beyond estimating if it's faster, if it's better, as the right honourable His Excellency <laughs> Mr. Blanford highlighted. You know, there, there are likely to be a number of very, very cool applications because of all of the capabilities of this 5G technology. Yes, if it's free, says Mr. Luddite Smith. What? Yes, if it's free. Okay, it is free, by the way. It is free. Uh, hello, Ben. Uh, hello, Rafe. What would you like to say? Rather than rubbishing the arguments, could we maybe have a point or argument from you? Well, yes, it's faster. That was my point. Okay, we've done that now, right? Just that. Now, can we get on to the rubbishing? Okay, I can carry on, please. Okay, right? just checking. Just, just, just checking substance here. So, well, what have I been doing for the last 3.6 minutes? It's all substance, generally speaking, right? Now, okay, I'm rebutting because I think a lot of the right viewpoints have generally been said by Rafe, His Excellency. But I just wanted to highlight here, it is free to use three in the UK. Some network operators say, yes, it's, it's, yeah, it's free. Okay, it's, it's part of the cost you pay. So I think you know, it's not my problem you've chosen EE, right? And I don't think it's the industry's problem you know, you've chosen EE, that's fine. Three, I, when I'm back in the UK with my 5G handset, I'll get 5G if it's available. But, you know, yeah, the availability issue, yes, I understand. But it is getting better and better. It's in 98 cities, towns and cities in the UK at the minute, okay? Would you like to know where it is? I'll just read the list. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's in Landudno, Blanford, which is in Wales. Uh, it's in Maidstone. It's in Manchester, Middlesbrough, Motherwell, Newbury, Newcastle. Northampton, North Shields, Norwich. Okay, look, it's it's in lots of cities already. Okay, it just it doesn't happen to be in the absolute gorgeous, gorgeous idol where Mister Luddite lives yet. Your position will change the minute five G is available to you. It will. Yes, but my argument was never it'll never be good. Now we're qualifying. Go on. No, yeah. my my argument was never it would never get it. It was only get it now if it's for free. Don't buy for the future was your argument. Don't buy for the future. And don't buy for the future because the future will not arrive in the next handset. Why do you bother with a 32 gig Mac Mini then? It's what's useful to me now. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. Right. But let's come back to your argument. So you're well, saying- Faster, yeah. It's faster, okay. But first Is of all- Is it worth it? Yes, I'm saying it's worth it, yes. The things you've described as doing there, uh, movies and games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. you know, like they're not my use case, but they are yours. So that's, that's fine, that's legitimate. Right. But you already do those things. Like you know, the speed of network, the availability to download those things are not an impediment. You already watch- can always be faster. It can always be faster. Now look, OpenSignal have done some really good analysis on this, right? 
So he's found a fact, Rafe. Brace yourself. In the UK, between January and April this year, stand by to be rubbished. Yeah. Okay. You ready? Right. Because you thought you had an argument. You don't. Okay. Right. In the UK, the average speed tracked by open signal yeah. for Wi Fi, 34 meg. Okay. The average speed. Okay. 4G, average speed, throughput, 24. Okay. 5G, 138. Yeah. Okay. Like a, a massive, massive. That's probably because no one's using it yet. Fair point. Okay. You're making my rebuttals for me. But. <laughs> so let's touch on that. I think you've made a really interesting point, though. So 5G can be faster than 4G when you can get it. Yes. So, I mean, that you have to qualify all those numbers for the fact that yes. if you're in an area where you can't get it, or more importantly, perhaps if you're traveling and therefore switching between areas where it is and it isn't, your experience is going to fluctuate wildly. You're going to lose hundreds of megabits of download speed. If your movies were so big that you needed a 100 megabit connection to download them, you couldn't do that reliably. You'd have to wait a bit like Wi-Fi coverage of old. You know, you'd have to wait till you got to the airport with the Wi-Fi coverage to download the movies mm. because you wouldn't be able to do it on the way. And I think it's that inconsistency that is the problem for me. But also, the, an interesting, and I, I didn't know that number, but the interesting number there was the 34 megabits for Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. the average download speed. Yep. Why will people invest in mobile handset connections Mm -hmm. that are faster Mm -hmm. than what they get at home. Because when they go home, even Mm -hmm. if they're connected to 5G, even if they live in central London, their handset will go, oh, Wi-Fi, thank you, connecting to that. And all of a sudden- It's slower, yeah. You'll be paying for 5G, you'll be living under a 5G mast, everything will be brilliant, you'll have the 5G handset that you've paid extra for, and you'll be using 34 megabits a second, your average speed. Okay, okay. It's a fair comment. Not accurate, but it's a fair comment. I'm only kidding. Yeah. Does anyone else sitting in their hyper-optic or whatever it is Blanford's got in their apartment or their estate or their house, do they ever switch Wi-Fi off on their phone? Well, I wouldn't. It would break all my smart home stuff. Right, because I routinely switch my Wi-Fi off, especially if I'm in a room where the Wi-Fi isn't ruined. It's always ubiquitous. I've got my, my, my Google stuff, blah, blah, blah. I've got, I've got, I don't know, 17 access points all over the place. But it, sometimes it just, the throughput is actually quite annoying because I'm not precisely in the middle of the room. I'm around the corner or whatever. So I will often daily switch my Wi-Fi off when I'm in my house, okay? And I'll, I'll use 4G. So I do this a lot. Okay. So I think someone needs to get a decent mesh network or Wi-Fi routing system installed in, in Ewan's place. But I do think there's an argument here that there are an increasing number of mobile-only users. And what I mean by that, they're not using desktop or laptops at home. And in the UK, that actually amounts to 30% now. And then there becomes an argument, like, if you're getting those kind of levels out of 4G, 5G, do you even need to pay for home broadband if you're mobile-only? And there are now better deals with if you've got things like a tablet, getting everything into one, and Ben talked about a single bill previously. So I think that's when 5G starts to become really interesting. It's, it's interesting coalescing around that home use case. Hmm. Those are 4G speeds, though. Always. That's a speed that I can get on 4G where I live right now. Hmm. And I want to add some facts to this because I think we're pressing on an important point here about when does it become important. And using the same source that Ewan referred to a moment ago, Open Signal. Thank you very much. There's a big variation between markets. And so they have, and they do pretty comprehensive testing. They say the download speeds for 5G are between 1.4 and 14.3x faster than 4G. If you look at the US, for example, 
it's 28.9 on 4G, 50.9. I think to Ben's point, maybe not a lot of value there. In the UK, it's 25.9 versus 133.5. To me, that feels like quite a big deal. And then you look at the most advanced markets, somewhere like Australia, it's 42.8 versus 215.7. Saudi Arabia, next door to Ewan. I'm not saying that's a big example market, but that's at the leading edge. 28.9 versus 414.2. So to the point we discussed earlier about, is there a bigger difference between 3G and 4G or 4G and 5G? It feels like 5G is that bigger step up. And I think all the things we've said around, if you can get access to it, still apply. I think the other thing I just want to come back on is we talked about that kind of, um, is Wi-Fi worth it? I think we have to recognize there's an increasing number of mobile-only users, 30% or so in the UK. And these speeds are sort of getting to the point where you go, okay, well, don't bother with Wi-Fi. Get rid of that bill. Just use it on you know, the cellular connection. And the UK operators at least offer decent deals on having unlimited data. Now, there is interesting things around streaming and all of those kind of things. But for a proportion of the population, it's really going to be interesting to make sense of that. And then suddenly, this idea that 5G becomes this ubiquitous connectivity that's everywhere. If it's in your iPad, it's in your watch, in your phone, that then sort of gives fuel to the fire of, yes, 5G is worth it with caveats, with the right use cases and in the right scenario and the right market. All those things are appealing. I'd love to have those speeds. I'd love to have those improvements. But the point is that even if I could have them at home, I won't get them when I leave the house and I won't get them consistently. So ask yourself if you're willing to pay for something that you'll only get part of the time. Or swap to three. Swap to three in the UK as I use and it's no additional cost. But it's not no additional cost because you'll have to buy a handset that supports it. And right now... No, with a Nix handset, anyone listening buys will have 5G in it. But in that case, it will be free. So there's some more data to back up Ben here. In the the UK, only 4.5% of the population has access to 5G versus 88% for 4G. But then again, you look at another market in the US, 20% of people have access to 5G versus sort of 93% for 4G. I'll refer to Saudi Arabia, which feels like one of the few times you can talk about it as a top market. 34.4% of the population have access to 5G. And so it comes back to it does depend on the market and the circumstances. So I think maybe we could agree there are nuances to each of these answers that are worth considering for our listeners. And all three of us have different elements of being right. Right for the peacemaker. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Come on. I've got one final point. All right. PlayStation 5 is coming. You can pre-order it now. Can you see where I'm going with this? No. No. Really? Go on. Okay, right. The same argument would say, no, no, let's just wait. I'm not going to get the PlayStation 5. I'm going to wait until all of the games that are ever possible that are going to come out are available. And then I'm going to get my PlayStation 5. I don't want to get it now. I don't want to get it ahead of time. I don't want it for Christmas because there's only going to be four games available. You know, I'm going to wait. Ben, did Ewan really just compare the dynamics of the telecom market to the console market? I didn't mishear that. He did. Yes, yes, I did. And I think it was a fair comparison to his idiot argument, really. (laughs) I think you've just made my case for me, which is Sony and companies like that spend millions of dollars on having a good catalogue of launch titles with their consoles because they recognise that if there's not enough value in you buying the console, you won't buy an expensive console on the promise that the games will come next year and it will be fun in future. And they'll add value over time. But I mean, Microsoft has just spent literally billions of dollars acquiring a whole set of game studios so that the people who buy their consoles know 
that they're going to have brilliant games from the get-go and there's going to be a constant flow of games coming forward. And I think if you said to me, oh, by the way, here's a plan for 5G, and if you get this handset, you're definitely going to get this improvement on day one and this improvement on day two and blah, blah, blah. If there was some measurable value for me in getting a 5G from launch, I would say perhaps that comparison was a bit more relevant. I think if I went out and got a 5G tariff and a 5G handset today, I would have... From three, a 5G... From anyone. Yes, yeah. Even if it was free. Even if it was completely free. Yeah. If I sat here with a 5G handset and a 5G tariff, my experience would not change because there's no 5G from the transmitter. Yeah, because you don't, you don't live in North Shields or Oxford or Paisley or Peterborough or Plymouth or Portsmouth or Preston. There's 98 of these. Absolutely. And or Reading or Redhill or Rochdale or Rochester or Romford or Rotherham in the UK. And the device I would buy would connect to my Wi-Fi and ignore the 5G signal anyway. Because other people do live in Sheffield, Slough, Solihull, Southampton, Southend-on-Sea, South Shields, South St Albans, Staines. We should have got this episode sponsored by three, shouldn't we? No, no. Anyways, this is not three. These are all, by the way, served by different operators, right? Yeah. So Swansea is served by Vodafone and uh, three. You can get 5G from someone in those towns and cities as I was mentioning. Well, we should wrap up. There's a fairly comprehensive answer to the, is 5G worth it? Yes. No, yes, and yes. There you go. So uh, take your pick. Let's hear from the listeners who was right. Actually, what I would love is to hear from people who are living the 5G dream, people who've got the 5G handset and who have 5G coverage a lot of the time, be it because they live somewhere like Saudi Arabia or somewhere with you know crazy 5G coverage that's all rolled out already, or perhaps you're in the UK or the US and you're just lucky enough to live in one of those places and go mostly to places where there's 5G. Let us know what it's like living in the future because I'd love to hear it, but I think I would always um, be concerned that that's not what the majority experience would be like. Anyways, write in and let us know your views. Thank you to everyone who wrote in after episode two. We got a bunch of uh, feedback and emails in with views and opinions. And um, thank you also to everyone who wrote in and said they enjoyed Mark's post-show edits. Um, I think actually we should just cancel the show and just let Mark do the post-show bit. It'd be more fun, to be honest. (laughs) So you can find us at 361podcast on Twitter. We're 361podcast.com online, where you can leave a comment under the show. Or there's an email facility there. You can email us if you want to do that privately or send a longer form message. Or you can talk to us on Twitter if you were happy to do that in public at 361podcast. We'll be back next week, uh, usual discussion episode. And then we have a whole bunch of questions ready to go for the rest of the season. And looking at the list here, I think we've plenty to keep us going for many years. But we've had some excellent ones in recently as well. So if you've got a suggestion for a question you'd like us to address, write in, we'll add it to the list and we'll get to it as quickly as we can. Thank you to everyone who's done that already. Please keep them coming in. We've got some fantastic suggestions here. And uh, the best thing is half these suggestions is we would never have come anywhere close to thinking of covering them without you writing in. So that's brilliant because that's helped us make a better show. Thank you very much. Okay, gentlemen. Well, it was mostly a pleasure apart from you and who was wrong. Oh, thanks. Come on. We got somewhere. We got somewhere. We got somewhere faster. Okay. Yes. Right. And I will see you next week. Bye-bye. There you go. Did I tell you I've been suffering from insomnia? No, but on the bright side, there's only three more sleeps till Christmas. That's uh, mildly, mildly amusing. There's not three. There's quite a lot more than that. No, but... If you've got insomnia, right? Yes, but... If you're paying attention to the joke. Insomnia would mean no more sleeps. Well, insomnia means some sleep. Let's move on. Come on. Good. Well, I'm glad that one landed. What's the next one? See, because we're recording this a second time, I can't remember what jokes I made last week. They were amazing. They were the best jokes ever. Yeah, something about a horse.
Oh yeah. Um, that was it. Uh, every night I dream I'm a horse. That's four nights on the trot now. Yeah, that was good. That was actually quite good. I liked that. Yeah. Still not funny the second time. Good, thank you. I, I think the uh, searing silence. Of the, yeah, well done. I enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Three, two, one. All right. Let's do some claps then. Yeah, right. Let's get this over with. Yep. Should we record this? Yeah, what's, what's this uh, whole thing about again? Uh, it's the G's. Oh, yes. How many G's is enough? More. Faster. Yeah. Exactly. You and Stanley's rehearsal, the second one. <laughs> I, I don't have my notes, although that might be it. Yeah. When you say, when you say notes, <laughs> was it just a post-it with the word faster? <laughs> yes, <on> basically. <laughs> Where are all my notes? All my notes. I love this. The, the, the pretense. Let's have a look. I should have it. Right. Should have it. Okay, here we are. Right. It must be in. It must be in this pile here. This is my my uh, my written stuff here. It's quite. Annoying. You really are living the paperless dream, aren't you? Okay, I'll keep. I'll keep looking. Maybe it's under my Harvard Business Review. <laughs> you know, the spine of that hasn't been broken, has it? That's a coffee table decoration. If ever I saw it. No, I've, I've opened it. I've had a look at it. No, yeah. uh, okay, right. I'm gonna. I'm just. Uh, you, you carry on. Talk amongst yourselves while I find my very important notes. <clears throat> what do you call a magician who can't do tricks anymore? Uh, Madge. Ian. <sighs> oh, that's right. Sorry. Yeah, there you go. That one, that one. Right. So I'm going to do this one live. Okay. Zero take, Ewan. Okay. No notes. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> okay. Will we be able to tell the difference? I asked myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ready? Yeah. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile technology in the world around. Question three answers. This week we're asking, is 5G worth it? That's it. Good. Is 5G worth it? You could have expanded it. Is 5G worth it? No, no, that's fine. It's fine. One take. Zero takes. I'm open to your feedback. I just felt it had stopped. (laughs) You noticed it had stopped. Yeah. Well, I was expecting more, and I think the listeners may be expecting more. In our new format, we're asking... Okay, let's have another run at it then. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about... We didn't get the hello. The diction. (laughs) Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile technology and the world around it. My name's Ben Smith. Oh, come on, Blanford. Hello. Hello. Sorry. I thought that was very nice. Great energy there, but ruined by his excellency. Come on. Then. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile technology and the world around it. On 5G, kind of, they're, they're less strict, but actually, I think we will meet your criteria of it being useful in many places. Um, particularly, <laughs> it's just communication. I'm just saying hello. We're all friends here. I'm just um, saying hello. I'm sorry. I think I might have to start that section again. I was just waving at Gillian. You might have to start that section again. Yeah. For Mark's benefit, um, Ben's other half, Gillian, came in short and started waving. It was really, really hard to keep to- talking and concentrating. Yeah. Husband here did a massive eye roll. <laughs> I'm live. I'm live, darling. He got a cup of tea out of it. Anyway, should I do that section again? Because I can probably cut it. Yes, please. Did you get a biscuit? No, no. Oh. We don't have biscuits in this house. <laughs> That'll do. Yeah, no. Can you just give us some um, rubbish jokes and then we can get on with our life? Yeah. I gave you some rubbish jokes earlier. They were all um, poo-pooed. Uh, let me see if I... Uh, I um, told you I saw a bagel in the zoo. It was uh, bred in captivity. That's quite good, that one. Thanks. I can tell by the way you're sitting motionless. <laughs> How many Motown bands can you name? Two, three, maybe four tops? I'm sure we've had that before. Yeah, last week when we recorded this exact same <laughs> sequence. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Before we throw it away because someone's recording didn't work, remember? Um, Why don't you do, can we do some math tests or something? Maths tests? Haven't you got, you know, some kind of special, you know, if three people were going to a city at this speed and then two people are going that way and, you know, how fast is it? Look, mate, I had to sit here for five minutes saying acoustics for you to get that joke. I don't think we're ready for trigonometry on this podcast. <laughs> okay. I saw a maths teacher with a, a piece of graph paper yesterday. I think he must be plotting something. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. There we go. Right. Oh, um, sad news. Actually, very sad news. My friend was uh, killed transporting German sausages in his transit van. <laughs> yeah, it was a freight versed van death. Oh. Uh, that's good that's good I just thought for a moment oh I'm not meant to laugh and then thought I really hope this is a joke yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> yes <laughs>